CliffCentral.com. I think this is fast becoming the new theme tune to this, um, sorry, yeah, theme tune to the show. Welcome to it. It is Monday. It is The Bounce Show. We are the final day of October which means we're very much into the summer season of sport and that means so much, so much to look into. October was a very good month. Uh, Test cricket's been dominating. Football's been very, very interesting, uh, mostly internationally, along with sundowns. And uh, tennis, Andy Murray just keeps creeping closer and closer towards Novak Djokovic's spot on the podium. Well, the, the perch, the top, the apex, the pinnacle of uh, world tennis, which I think is going to kind of increase Djokovic's fan base because people don't want Andy Murray to do anything in life. They really do dislike him. Um, but he won yesterday against Joe Wilfred Songa in uh, Vienna. And apparently if he beats... If he wins the Paris Masters coming up now and uh, Djokovic does not make the final, then Andy Murray will be the number one tennis player in the world. How about that, eh? Never never saw that one coming. But that's going to be um, just another talking point towards the end of the show. We've got AK back. He'll be giving us a wrap-up towards the end of the show of what happened over the weekend. There was a lot of football locally, a little bit, um, oh, well, I wouldn't say too disappointing because that whole Chiefs versus Pirates game, expectations are a little bit Kind of medium there as far as goals are concerned. I went to the ground. I absolutely loved it. Amazing atmosphere. It's an amazing spectacle. I think if you are in the country, when those things come around at the big FNB stadium, I totally recommend it. The, the people are just so excited about football. And uh, it's just a shame that the goals don't come afterwards. But hey, let's not crap on about that. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got Dan from Conquer Sport. He is returning after what's been a slightly longer than usual um, time away from the show. We've got a topic today which... On the outset, might not be too interesting to you. Women's golf. Now, I'm not saying it because I'm being sexist or anything like that. It's just that it's not a sport that really gets a lot of the headlines. But Dan's got an angle which I think we all need to discuss. And uh, I think as a sport that could definitely develop in the world and is developing in the world right now is women's golf. It's a great game. You know, I love it. And uh, various things for women to get involved in. I think that's a really great thing. Uh, and then Dennis Friedman, our favorite Australian in the whole world. Yep. You name an Australian, Dennis is better than that Australian. He'll be joining us to talk about cricket because this Thursday, uh, I think it was 3rd of November, the big test, SA versus Australia. First test, it'll be the Wacker. Uh, there'll be three tests in the series, the third one being the day-night thing. So there is so much to look forward to. There's so much to get into today. But um sorry. I do have to apologize for last week. I was very ill. I was not in a good way. I was coughing. I was very drowsy and down. Still not feeling my absolute best, but uh, I think I'm over it. So um, I mean, you're not going to have cough breaks this week, which would be really cool because you listen to the show because it's meant to be the 
pinnacle of sport, not some sickly guy having a cough in the background. So one thing I didn't get into last week, just didn't have enough time, was how terrible those uh, Saru Player of the Year awards were, right? And I don't want to kick a horse here while it's down, but it was cuck. And I think it's just people are always going on about the fact that SA Rugby, um, you know, they're having a tough time of things and it's mediocre on the field. But I think it's got to be one massive approach. We've got to be much better at everything, right? I'm just going to play a little clip before we get into the head, um, into our feature with Dan. And um, this kind of sums up just how amateurish every single thing in SA Rugby is right now. I thought that I'd come out here and, and hand this over because I think you've earned it now. I, I actually don't know how to use these things. <laughs> See, there's talking about an iPad. No one knows is that the screen isn't actually on. It's just a really good mirror. Like I can actually see my reflection in it. So just to check that you don't have lipstick on your teeth. I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm not on social media or anything, oh. but um, this hashtag. Sorry, this is Sean De Villas, by the way. If you haven't heard this clip, we didn't watch this amazing award ceremony. Thing. So it's B O T Y. Yes. So it's hashtag potty. 2016. Oh, 20, potty. Potty 2016. 2016. Okay. That's not where the toilets are located. No. Oh. It's in another floor. Okay. It's a tough crowd, you know. <laughs> okay. It's just so cringe. I mean, like, to her credit, Alma, I mean, she's um, she's a seasoned presenter. She's worked on everything in South Africa, right? So she's tasked with doing this because Saru and Supersport, it's like they're also intermingled. So now she has been given the unenviable job of having to ad-lib with a rugby player. I could, no, no, nothing against John DeVillers. The guy served our country well. He's a hero. But why is it that we have to have essay, essay, um events like this with ex-players? I mean, Jean was an amazing rugby player. Doesn't mean he's going to be like, why does he have to be a presenter? Alma's standing there. She's thinking, oh God, please don't make this cuck joke about the potty in the toilet. And there he goes. He's trying so hard to ad lib to his credit. He's been given this job. He's trying to go with it, but it's just cringe. I mean, come on. We don't need to keep making SA rugby look cuck. And these kind of things, unfortunately do the whole, the whole show was just a, a dog, a dog show. Actually, it was just so cringe and it was like, I watched Nagali Skospal once, and it was so much better, and there was a lot more personality. There's no personality here. Like, the, the awards, the people were announced, like, and the winner is. Like, there was just, there was no personality. There was nothing delivered about the people. Guys were kind of handed awards. This made Razmataz's Essay Sports Awards, whatever that thing is he does to make himself look important. It made that thing look like the Oscars. This is how cringe it was. So if we want to fix Essay Rugby, let's have a look at the whole thing. We can't just keep blaming Alex Garcia. I blame the Essay Rugby Awards. I blame this constant need for the, the mundane to be thrown out there. Um, I, look, I, I don't want to have a rant about this. This actually wasn't planned. I just thought I'd play this because I mentioned it last week and because I'm not coughing this week. Anyway, it's, I'm, I'm digging myself a hole by just trying to actually just vent about this. It's frustrating. SA Rugby as a whole, you need to get better. That's what I'm really getting at here. Dan, this is for you, for you to come in here because you're far more eloquent than me on these kind of things. Hi. Did, good morning, Ben. Did you watch the SA Rugby Awards last year? No. Not last no, last I, week? I spared myself the agony. Well done. See, wise man. So, Dan, what are we talking about this week? <clears throat> Let's get into it. Alrighty. So, um, this is all about the age disparities in um, top female and male golfers. Now, uh, like I'm sure you did, I watched the Olymp- uh, golf at the Olympics. Yes. And I just I, I noticed something that was quite interesting, that the medalist in the men and the medalist of the women had such a large age disparity. So, the, the average age of the three male medalists was 37.6 years old. For the woman, it was 24.6. Right. Uh, so that's something, that's a full 13 years. That, that's a big gap. So I, I was curious as to why this disparity existed. So 
um, I did some research and I did some interviews and that led me to write this article. And in the process of doing my research and, intervie- and interviews, it became clear that the reasons behind this were ingrained social and, and cultural problems that exist in golf, but that are actually just a microcosm of the broader social and cultural problems that exist in our society. Right. Jeepers. Yeah. No, that's, see, that, that's no ordinary intro to a sporting topic, is it? <laughs> this is what we've missed without you having been around, Dan. Right. Happy to be back. So, so yeah, so, um, I mean, it's, you know, I, I hate to be the one to tell you, Ben, but there's one sex that is, that is, uh, you know, heavily favored by society, and that's, and that's us. And, yes, uh, it's us males. It's, it's, us, it's, it's us penis holders. It's yeah. us penis holders, exactly. And, and unfortunately, that, um, that creates a, uh, an environment in golf where, where women aren't able to sustain a, a long career, as long a career as the men are. And we can get into them, but, uh, they, they're financial, they're, they're societal pressures to have kids, they are, um, the pressures as, as people that, you know, as, as caregivers and, and, and child raisers where, where, I mean, a, a man can have a kid stay for a couple of weeks and then go back on tour. His body doesn't change. The, the pressures on him to, to, to stay home and raise the kids isn't as strong as, as, as it is with women. Well, if you look at Alistair Cook, he's in Bangladesh right now. His right. wife's just had a baby. Right, exactly. He could fly down for a week, fly back, right? So. FaceTime on his phone, he's in the clear. Totally. But, but, what was what was more worrying because I mean, we're not going we, we're not going to change that that women fall pregnant that that's, that's not going to change yeah but what we can change is the is the massive wage gaps that exists in in male and female golf um, which caught so eleven women last year made a million dollars on on the tour one hundred and ten men men did that Aria Juta, ooh, I don't want to pronounce the name wrong Jutanogun from Thailand. She was the top earning female golfer last year. She made $2.5 million. She'd be ranked 38th in the men. Okay. So this, this massive wage gap leads to women turning pro a lot sooner and hitting it as hard as they can for, for, for a much shorter time. So between the ages of 18 when they're turning pro to 30, it's intense golf and they, and they, they're touring everywhere and playing as many tournaments as they can because they, they know that if, if they seek to stretch their careers, like men are, are given the luxury, they won't make as much money. So when they do finally retire, they, they look at their bank account and it's not as big as it could have been. And this desire, or rather the necessity to hit it very hard, leads to mental burnout that we're just not seeing in the men's game. Jeepers, Dan. There's about seven or eight, twelve, thirty-five at different avenues we can go off in the back of this. this where, do, is a, where do you want to go? Where do we start with this? Um, firstly, the wage gap, right? Mm. That comes down to <clears throat> that's commercial viability, right? So, so put it this way: um, HSBC over the weekend. Um, say, for instance, a hundred million people will watch that. If there, is there a female equivalent, they'd be lucky to get a million viewers. That's just that's just dynamics of entertainment mm. because the much bigger names, huge marketing around the fact that Roy McIlroy is there, Justin Johnson, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, the women's tour, they'll have amazing players, but they're not household names. So, I mean, this is the thing that's been argued in tennis as well, is that how on earth do you get more money into the sport when there's less demand? Well, so, we, we, I don't think we can ever change that. Well, see, I think, I think the Olympics here could also serve maybe as a as a way to show that 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 this can exist. So now, for the first time, men and women were given an equal platform in golf, and and it was it was very clear that women were taking it a lot more seriously than the men were. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guys were talking about Zika, and the women were like saying, "Bring it on." Who cares? Well, and 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 that probably exists for for one or two reasons. One, this this wage gap and and 
and and this culture that exists in women golf where you hit everything as hard as you can probably created a culture where you know no tournament is 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 left unplayed exactly but also that for the for the simple fact that for the first time women were given an equal platform but you know we once we we would have had this conversation about tennis and now it's it's the norm that that Wimbledon all the majors are 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 you know treated as equal platforms for men and women so i think i think it's it's maybe just about exposure it's about providing the right platforms it's about changing our mindsets you know we're talking about women's golf as if it as if it were a secondary sport and 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 there's no denying that in terms of popularity it is but i think i think it would would come down to marketing and i wonder how i mean what are your thoughts would there be a possibility to kind of have something like the olympics where a, a us open or one of the majors could be you know the the women play and the men play or or you know maybe the week you know the lead up so the men will play thursday friday saturday sunday maybe the women could play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, it, it has happened before at Pinehurst, where there was the men's woman, the men's U.S. Open, and the very next week the woman played there. The very next week. So, so do you not think then that it should have been the other way around? That that kind of, if if we if we state the obvious that that women's golf is not as popular, maybe that we can kind of phase it in as curtain raises. I mean, because if it is about if it is about popularity and you know more sponsorship, more more eyes on TV will mean more money. Do you do you are you then you saying that the that the way to tackle this 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 wage disparity is to kind of make the sport more popular? Well, it's about just increasing the market, right? Because I mean, you can play at, at say Pinehurst, and the women can play. No one cares. Like your TV does not care about what the course is. So the person on the couch does not care the fact that the proximity of golfers is going to make them watch it. I think it's just got to be back to the point. There's got to be a bigger market for it. So if there's a million. Um, women's golf fans, right? There needs to be 10 million because once that happens, then there'll be more sponsors involved, more sponsors, bigger crowds, bigger demand, uh, bigger marketing for these players. And then it'll go up there because think prior to Tiger, right? There might have been, hypothetically speaking, 100 million golf fans in the world. Tiger burst in the scene, 97 won the Masters, suddenly there were 300 million golf fans. Right. That changed the sport for that, what that is. It wasn't the fact that the game became better. It wasn't the fact that suddenly golf courses became more interesting. It's that the fact that the sport had a bigger audience coming from that one dude. Right. And, and, and maybe by addressing the, the longevity issues that, that women face in the sport, maybe we could address that because by, I mean, if Lydia Ko retires at 30, okay, we had great, 10 great years, but that dynastic rule that, that female golfers, I mean, even, even Annika Sorensen, you know, she had, had a, 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 a moderately, you know, compared to the men, a, a very small dynastic rule where, as opposed to what it could have been because mm. of, of, of these social implications. So if we have like Lexi Thompson, Brooke Henderson, Lydia Ko on the tour beyond 30s, into their 40s, and then we got 20 years of, of these women battling it out, then we start to talk about a narrative where, where it becomes exciting. We can kind of put our, you know, pin our colors to a particular player like, like new golf fans did with, with Tiger. Mm. Um, I kind of, I kind of see it as, one hand washes the other. If we can address the, the societal and cultural issues, a lot of them being financial, then we can increase the, the longevity of these athletes. Then the interest in, increases and then we can, you know, that in turn will then lead to markets increasing and more money put, being put into the sport. But I think we have to kind of change our mindset and we have to kind of allow, allow these women to prolong their careers. And I think that's just going to take us investing more in the sport, both in terms of our interest and in terms of finances. Yeah, I mean, look, personally, as a golfer, I, I don't watch women's golf. Um, not because I don't like it. It's just there's probably 
11 different things on the weekend I'll probably watch in front of that. Right. So that's just a priority thing. It's something personal. But is it a quality thing? Are you not watching it because the quality is not good or because you aren't I, invested I, I, in it? I can't relate. Right. So when I watch the men's golf, I can relate more because of the yardage just being used um, and the swings and that kind of stuff. So that's just that's just me. But now what happened with Michelle Wee back in the day, right? She was 15 and then she was playing men's tournaments mm. because they wanted to thrust her as this like tiger-esque kind of image into, yeah. into women's golf. Mm-hmm. I think that was progressive and that was cool. But it was badly managed. Ultimately, she was a 15-year-old girl playing with grown men. Yeah. That's, uh, what has happened to her? I mean, is she, is she still playing? Yeah, she's still playing. She's still, she's still regular. She's on the tour, that kind of stuff. But she's, but she's not a top player. She's, she's one of, she's, she's, look, she's better than your average. But she's, but she's not in the top 20 is what I'm saying. No, because then Asia took over. That's another conversation. Right. I think we've opened too many cans of worms here. Um, what I I wanted to bring it back and say this whole thing about women professionals having to turn pro at like 18. Okay. So obviously with guys, you can dick around in college for like three, four years. You can turn pro at your own speed around Mm. your early Mm. twenties. And then as you say, you've got, 30, 40 years to make money. Sure. Women feel so much pressure to get into 18. What do you know about the world at 18? Squat. Right. Bugger all, right? Now you've got to travel. You've got to go. Golf's a lonely, lonely sport. It's time away really from the family. Is. As an 18-year-old, yeah. the pressures of winning, you know, knowing that if you have a bad tournament, you don't make as much money. And knowing that at – I mean, I interviewed Ashley Simon, one of the South African golfers who, play, who competed in Rio. She's 27. I mean, it's younger than me. And, and our conversation, it was, it was like I was talking to someone in their – Approaching, the out. Uh, approaching 14, you know, she was talking about like, you know, now that she's entering a new phase of her career, uh, she feels like a seasoned player on tour. And I'm, and I'm like, you're younger than me. It, it would be ludicrous if we, if I was talking to a 20, who, who's 27 on, on, on the men's tour. Someone says to me, but if I was talking to a man who's Ricky 20, Fowler. Ricky Fowler, if I was talking to Ricky Fowler and he was talking like that, I'd be like, Jesus, Rick, I think you should, you know, you, be, you should be taking a holiday. You, you need time away from the sport here. Yeah. And he, he might say, you know what, Dan, you're right. I will take us a, a year of the sport, but Ashley can't do that. Because once Ashley turns 30, she is in, a, in an entirely different career. I mean, uh, Carrie, I, I read an article that was published in 2012 on The National uh, about Carrie Webb. And it was saying at 37, she still has golf left in her. Bubba Watson's 37. No one's, no one's even questioning that Bubba Watson has golf left in her. Jimmy it. Walker's like late, late 30s, 39 or something. When his first major, people are saying this is like rejuvenation. Henry, well. Hen- Henrik Stenson won a silver medal at 40. And he's got years yeah, left. His first major was at 40. He's got a long time. And it's... And, we we keep saying that that golf golf is a mental game, right? And the the fact is that these 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 young girls who enter the sport are just burnt out after a decade of. Inter- I mean, I, I have no doubt that if if the men had these pressures, they too would be burning out. If if the men weren't, if it wasn't as financially rewarding, or if it was as as financially rewarding as the women's game, I think there would be many men that would hit it hard at 18, try and get as much money as possible, and by the time they turn 30, would just be absolutely burnt out. That's not to say that the, that the men's game doesn't have its own pressures and you know high profile. That yeah, sure, it's competitive as all hell. Yeah. Of course, but but I just think that this extra variable of of having to cram this intensity into a shorter space of time. I mean, you said that you can't relate to the game. I can't relate to that mental state that, that these young women must go through. Well, there's two things. Okay, so just added to the whole 18 thing. Uh, last year, I played golf with Bertine Strauss, who is a young South African golfer from the Sticks, on Northwest here, got an LPGA Tour card. One of the most supremely talented golfers I've ever seen. Okay, we played off the same tees that day. There wasn't much distance difference between us. Um, just an amazing player. She then went out on tour as a young girl, she has to go get, get a tour card. The mm. other day, she played in like a, a corporate men's event. She beat all the men's, some of which were our top SA rising golfers, right? Wow. Talent, 
for days, mm-hmm. but amazing. Mm-hmm. But the stress that she has to get out there, okay? Now, look, a lot of people might have that. But then you get the Asian side of things. Mm. Korea, they get mm. these metronome kind of people that all they do is golf. Right. There is nothing else in their lives. A lot of their dads are their caddies, right? Yeah. They know they've got to push it out and become major champions by 21. It's almost like tennis, okay? There was another sport where young girls were being thrust into it, having to make it before the age of 21, 22. Mm-hmm. That's going to burn you, as you say. And golf, you've got nothing in between the ears, you're screwed, dead in the water. Right. And, and, and I think while this might be a, a minefield, let's delve into the culture of Asian golfers dominating. I hope you don't get any angry emails as a result. But, um, yeah, go ahead. Look, we, we, look, there's two guys talking about women's golf. Yeah. We've already got into a minefield here. Let's right. not stop now. Right. So, so 23 of 31 of the top 50 female golfers are South, Southeast Asian or, or rather Asian. 23 of them are, are South Korean. <laughs> this, you know, speaking, speaking to Ashley, uh, she was saying that while these are all great people and everyone gets along, there is just something that that is ingrained in that culture where it's intense. It is super, super intense. So, I think it's just Asian life. I mean, look right, at those gymnasts. And- right, right, right. So, so okay. So, so these, so these, so these ladies are, are absolutely dominating with the, with this high level of intensity. So, therefore, if you're if you're not from this country, you have to match them. They're setting the benchmark of of training. They're setting the benchmark of intensity on the course. They're setting the benchmark of turning pro early. And it kind of it kind of seems like they've they've pushed female golf down this hill, and now it's just gathering momentum. And if if that is the yardstick, we're going to see a lot more young women burning out a lot sooner. And because, as you say, men can go dick around in in, in the amateur ranks and the colleges, something needs to change in in, in women's golf, unless you know if it, culturally, if we want to see this longevity happen that that exists in the men's game. Well, yeah, it's a good point, which then brings me on to my next point, okay? So we want more money to come into women's golf, bigger audiences. That's how we can get a more sustainable platform for people to have more normal careers, okay? But catch 22 of life and how societal norms are sort of depicting what goes on here. Nobody wants to see, okay, I'm going to say it anyway. No one really wants to see your average golfer in her early 30s on the cover of magazine, okay? Because women athletes are always being pitched pictured as uh, sex symbols mm. the ones that are really successful those are the ones that get a lot of money right mm. Maria Sharapova she's dreadful uh, she's not my cup of tea I think she's terrible for the game she's noisy and she's obnoxious but she's the skinny blonde haired blue eyed girl okay so she was thrown in there that's why she made a lot more money than Serena ever did Serena much better player sure. much better for the sport sure. marketing so now you can't so these girls going into golf they need to be good looking and marketable so therefore they have to be young because if you're 25 and up in this sport you can be seen as over the hill already right so now you've got to deal with a whole sex symbol kind of thing sure. because I mean I was playing playing with some mates uh, recently and I said wouldn't it be the biggest slap in the face to know that the only way you're going to get onto Golf Digest as a girl as a female golfer it's not because you've just won a major it's because you're in a bikini and there's some sort of other sleazy photo shoot around you yeah that must be one of the most disheartening things as a young as a young athlete coming through the ranks well i'm, I'm glad i'm glad you brought up golf digest because in in, in 2014 they put a woman on their cover i mean golf digest for those who don't know is probably the biggest golf magazine in, yeah, in america it has been for decades yeah. sure so for the first time in their history in 2014 in may 2014 they put a woman on the cut co- on their cover she wasn't a golfer she was the fiance of top male golfer dustin johnson her name's Paulina Gretzky, and she wasn't wearing a shirt or was wearing a, was very scantily clad and was, it was posed. like a scant white outfit, yeah. Right. And it, I mean, 
chatting to chatting to um, Ashley Simon, her exact words were it was outrageous, offensive, and a slap in the face for all female golfers. Because I mean, not only could she not play golf, yeah, she, she she was objectified. And as Ashley said, not that looks matter, but there are some good-looking girls on on the tour who can actually play golf. So. Yeah. This added variable of having to be good looking, of having to be young, of having to hit it harder. It's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's just co- compounds the situation. Plus they're not earning a lot of money. I mean, it, it is a mess. And, you know, if you think that, that, that female golfers aren't discriminating in golf, just look at the fact that the, that the tour that they play on is called the ladies PGA. Whereas the men's, there's no, there's no gentlemen's PGA. Professional it's golf just, it's just the PGA. So <laughs> professional being the key word. There, right, yeah. right. So it's the, it's the ladies profession. You know, it's, 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 it's highlighted. You, you, you are different. You are a guest in the sport. I mean, there's, there's, well, yeah, I suppose like the WNBA, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a differentiating factor. All right. of the sports have kind of got this. The WTA. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. So, but, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that, is that, I mean, they're, they're still, didn't of course two years ago lose the right to host the British Open because it's still an, uh, a men's only golf club? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think so. So, I, I mean, the fact that there are still men's only golf clubs just shows you that this is not a, this is, this is not just a society thing. This, this is also a golf thing that needs to change. Yeah. yeah Dan, look, look, this is a big topic here. It really is. And it would be nice to get someone like Bertine maybe on the show sometime because, sure, yeah. like, she's gone through the ringer of how difficult it is. And look, sport is hugely difficult to care. Otherwise, we'll all be pro sports stars. Look, I, trust me, I'd rather be on the golf tour right now than be in the studio. No disrespect to you or what's going on yeah, here. Fair but, enough. I'd rather but, be playing cricket. Exactly. We love playing sport because I think ultimately as humans, we'd rather be playing than working. That's how we wired. Sure. But professional sport's very, very difficult. It takes a hell of a lot of sacrifice. I think what really gets me from this discussion is how frustrating it must be to go through all the hard yards, right? You can't tell me that any of those women on the LPGA tour practice less than Roy McIlroy. Maybe harder. Maybe even harder because they've got to work. Like you said about the events, Rory can look at the calendar and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to play those 12 events this year. And make $20 million or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm going to play those 12 events, including the majors, and then I'll play the playoffs because of the $10 million bonus. The women are going there going, shit, how am I going to get to all of those events with travel money? Right. i got to play every single one. And if only 11 are making a million dollars, you know, I think think the woman who's ranked 50th made – uh, just under a hundred thousand dollars. Look, a hundred ninety ninety thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. But if that's if that's fiftieth, what's the what's the person who's a hundred? Oh, exactly. What's the person who's a hundred and fifty? And I'm not saying that there aren't there aren't men who struggle in golf in in the, yeah. in, in the lower ranks. Well, they but, just look locally, yeah. Right, but but the but the man who's ranked four hundred is making far more money than the woman who's ranking four hundred. Well, making a living, yeah. Right. So so the you know it's all these pressures to hit it harder, and and that, that also when we talk about longevity, that also allows a man to to be a late bloomer in the sport because he can kind of plug away in his 20s, early 30s and go, you know, I'm going to stick at it. I'm making a decent living. And then, oh, who's this guy who just won a major at 38? You, you, you don't see that in the women's game because if they haven't made it by 30, they're out of there. Yeah. They've got to find they, – they, they, they're starting to think about kids. They've got to start thinking about families. They've got to, they're starting to think about all the, all the things that, that men are thinking about. But with the added pressure of not making as much money as their male counterparts. Yeah, those societal stigmas. I mean, it comes again the whole thing about having a child. Like, when do you make that moment in your career? You go, you know what? I've 
oh, getting late twenties now, and with the right person, I'm going to take some time off. Mm-hmm. I saw a woman who was actually pregnant and playing on the European tour, the woman's European tour, right? Okay. And they did a big story about her. Like, cool credit to her. That's yeah. great. She said, if anything, her short game was was really good, but she lost a bit of distance. Right. Like, it's a cool story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, like, then if you choose not to have kids because your career comes first, then you people judge you for another reason. Right. Oh my word. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And the, the two of us having the most amazing conversation that no other guy is having right now in this whole world about women's golf. And the, and. Right, and you know, before we pat ourselves on the back, it's important, to, <laughs> though we undoubtedly will after this conversation, mm-hmm. but it's important to, more people need to have this conversation, more yeah. people need to be aware that's of it. That's what I'm really getting at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah look, spot on. I, I think that there's no, there's no quick fix, and unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, we can go, oh, shame, you know, poor professional sports people. You can always just go get a job like anyone else, like, like us, anybody, but... This is that's not the issue here. I think ultimately, and we have to draw a line under it right now because we need to get in the cricket. But we need to get more people involved in women's golf because I think, if nothing else, it's just a great sport. Mm. Especially here in South Africa, we've got the weather, we've got the facilities, we've got all this kind of stuff that's helping. I know it's kind of expensive, but it's a really great sport to get into. And I think again, letting women get the chance to have more more parity on the on the industry level. Right, golf is a chance we can have that. No, maybe not. Um, I mean, it's other sports that's never going to work, but golf is still hugely marketable. But it needs progressive sponsors to come in and say, long time ago, okay, men's tour, there was the shell world of golf. They had these exhibition matches, and it was like golf was built around these things. You get like Sam Snead versus Hogan or whatever it was. Mm. Now, wh- where's the women's equivalent of that? There's got to be a sponsor out there that's. The market's um, is viable enough for the demographics to have this. You know, let's have a Lydia Ko versus a Lexi Thompson. Sure. Let's have a, 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 an exhibition match on a newly designed golf course somewhere in the world. Like, right. And let's beam it out there and let them be golfers. They're not playing bikinis and that kind of shit. Let them be golfers. Let them be the professionals that they are. Yeah. And let's, let's try to ramp it up from that. And hopefully Lydia Ko, Lexi Thompson, uh, Brooke Henderson, hopefully these golfers, if, if we can address the issue of longevity – we can show young girls that golf is a way that you can make a living. You can, you can do one of the sports. And if they, if, if we create more heroes to look up to, that only feeds back into the, into grassroots. And if they dominate for the next, hopefully 30 years, hopefully they, they're playing up until the, up until 45 or 40, like Stenson and winning and winning Olympic medals, mm. that creates a culture where, where young girls who are thinking about entering the sport will look at it and know that it's a viable option and that will only yeah. just feed the, feed the game. Well, I guess and there's the, again, it's a personal choice thing. Like Lydia wants to get done at 30, maybe she wants a family after 30. That's the thing. Like it all, the biggest crux around this matter for me is the whole choice of family. Some, you won't find a lot of golfers over the age of certain, uh, 30 or whatever for women mm. because they purely just want a family. Right. But it's nice to know that if that isn't your option. That isn't going to be reality. That you don't have to be bound into this category, right? I think right. That's, that's what really kind of gets my goat on that. Exactly. Dan, where else can we find you, and what else is out on the internet at the moment that you put your pen to? Cool. So um, we're at on con- uh, on Twitter and Facebook <coughs> at Conquer Sport. That's C O N Q A Sports. We're also on Facebook. Uh, I'm at Daniel Gallen. Uh, check us out this this week. I'm writing an article about incremental changes and why. We are so impatient in the world of sport, but why? I mean, you look at Manchester United, you look at the Springboks, and uh, maybe SA Cricket even, and why making incremental changes is always the way to go. But, you know, it's idealistic because we're all impatient. Very well said, Dan. Very well said. Well, thank you so thank much you. for coming back. We're now going to get into a big cricket discussion, and to get us into that, we're going to play some highlights of England playing spin bowling. Which is always fun. Uh, well, not if you're England, of course. This is just highlights from yesterday. We pick it up in the Suckerball Sun over where England are 161 for six. Bold him! 
Lovely delivery from uh, Shakib Al-Hassan. Puff of Dutch. It's good past uh, the outside edge of the bat. He's missed the line. <laughs> Look at the reaction. Ben Stokes gone for 25. That wicket has brought Adil Rashid. Oh, he's hit him in front. Is that out? Yes, it is. This is unbelievable stuff. He's referring it. Yeah, that is gone. Good decision by Revy. And that is another one. He's on a hat-trick. Adil Rashid goes. Goes for not. England, 161 for eight. One, two, three, four, five men around the back to Shaki Bowles. Taken! And sorry goes, England nine down, Shakib has him. Emerald K is there, it just sticks somehow. Uh, England, how you just just never change, never ever change. We love you so much. From 100 for zero to 164 all out. Dennis, did you manage to catch that game live? Uh, it was great fun, wasn't it, Ben? <laughs> uh, I think that the, the test ended in the best possible way. Darmasino, who had about 15, um, 15 of his decisions <laughs> ruled for DRS. Stephen Finn, with no reviews left, then tries to go for the DRS, and Darmasino finally gets a decision to stick. <laughs> uh, it was one of the one of the great ones. It actually reminded me. I don't know if you remember the uh, first game of the World Cup in Australia last year, England Australia, and uh, yeah. Oh, geez, um, James Taylor got. Given LBW and then uh, uh, was not given out LBW, then ran a single, got run out, and then had the LBW overturned, and so shouldn't have been out to end the game. That was one of the great comical ends of the game. But this was probably it was up there. I look, it, I can't even explain it. it was, I'm still laughing. It, there's nothing better, I don't think, than seeing uh, England lose ten wickets in a session to the team ranked second last on the table. Well, I kind of think between that and Andy and Andy Murray losing straight sets to Djokovic in the Wimbledon final, these are the two things I think people on Twitter love the most in all of cricket, all of sport, actually. It really is quite something to see. But it was an interesting test in that there were wickets falling in clumps throughout, and then suddenly the batsmen would shine for about an hour, and then it would go back to square one. But something that I found interesting recently, I don't know who it was, but they're crapping on about the fact that test match cricket must become four-day cricket to try and induce a result. Uh. But this year, the five-day format, there's been 31 tests, of which only six have been drawn, and one of those six was because they were played in mud. So I think the game's actually looking pretty good right now. Oh, look, it's interesting. I've just written a piece that's about to go up, and uh, that I actually think 2016 has been the renaissance of, of test cricket. For sure. Um, and all the talk about um, it's dying its last, you know, it's dying a slow death, and it's like a little fish out of water gasping for air. When you think about what's going on with Test cricket this year, it's had some, look, it's had some, it's had some breathing space. There hasn't been a World Cup or a yeah. something kind of getting in the way. There was a, there was a short one at the start of the year with the T20 thing, but it was kind of gone. Um, but this year you've had uh, everything from the ICC looking at ways to get new teams in. It's they've given Ireland first class status, which gives them a chance to play. We're going to have a two conference system probably soon. You've had Pakistan get to number one. Uh, you've had now Bangladesh beat England. Uh, you've had India be number one. You've had Australia be number one. I think 
the discussion of, of test cricket around the world, um, you know, if we're, t- if we're talking about Twitter, Ben, I think Twitter engagement around test cricket is as high as it's ever been. And yeah. it's not just one or two countries. Every single country at the moment has a reason to be talking about test cricket for a whole lot of reasons. And it's exciting times. The, the game's back, and I agree with you. You know, leave it at five days. Um, most games aren't getting that far, and the ones that are, are, are we're getting results, and, and that's the benefit of T20 and ODI cricket over the years. We're now seeing faster run scoring. Um, and uh, if we can just fix the pitch issue um, outside of the subcontinent, I've got no issue with subcontinent pitches. I like the fact that they bring results. And if we get the bowlers back into the game in other parts of the world, like your country and my country, I think uh, the game's going to start, uh, as I said, it's a bit of a renaissance time. Yeah, it, there's a lot that's still, you're right, there's a lot of um, things that still need to be ironed out. But another thing I found very funny of the weekend was uh, Courtney Walsh successfully coaching five or six <laughs> spinners to a win. I mean, he must be the most <laughs> bored guy in the world coaching a Bangladesh bowling attack. Uh, I thought the appointment in itself was one of the funniest things of the year. Uh, of course, Courtney Walsh being one of the great fast bowlers of all time. Also had one of the longest run-ups of all time. Yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> being appointed to uh, Bangladesh to, to teach essentially spin bowls. But look, he'll be handy when Bangladesh play away. They do have a couple of good quicks, and um, when they start playing, if they ever get to – well, they are coming to Australia at some point in the next 12 months. But if they ever do get to a South Africa or an England or get out of the subcontinent, it's, yeah. it's going to be handy. If he, um, <laughs> The reality is winning away from home is not easy, so – and England's just proven that. And India's about to teach England that lesson again, I think, when they get over there for a five-test series. Yep. But uh, And then your boys are coming to Australia, mate, on Thursday. We kick off. We, um, we get to see the uh, Proteas take us on at the Wacker, which will be very interesting. Okay, well, seeing as you want to go straight into that, I mean, you know, I was going to yeah, go I was going to flirt around it for a bit, but yeah, let's get into that. Um, <laughs> what, what is with this, this 12-man squad of yours, this whole meanie over... Jackson Bird thing. Let's, mm. let's start with that. Is that just because he wants to see a better net bowler, or are your selectors infinitely wise and believe that this guy who literally got punished in the ODIs in South Africa can now offer something as a test match bowler? Yeah, look, uh, I actually have no issues with the with the call um, that many is in the squad. He was the leading wicket taker in Sheffield Shield last year. Yeah, okay, so he does, he does have some local pedigree here. Absolutely, and and he did eat in Adelaide, which um, yeah, is his home. South South Australia is his home uh, state, and and Adelaide's a bit of a road, as you know. Yeah. Um, oh, well, Faf knows it quite well, but uh, um, the the issue is not with the selection. It was probably more the rationale of the selection. Uh, so Rod Marsh is the Australian gem as the selectors, and and we all know he's gone a bit senile in the last ten years, <laughs> and uh, you know his job. Yesterday or the day before was to sit there and read out the 12-man squad, but he went into a t- sort of 10-minute monologue about why many was selected over Jackson Bird as our sort of as the 12th member of the squad. And the rationale was, uh, we, we think we'll get more runs out of many at number 11 than we will out of Jackson Bird. Now, I don't know about you, Ben, but I've been watching cricket for a little bit. I'm not, you know, I'm not Rod Marsh, but I've watched a bit. Um, and usually I don't back the number 11 to win me test matches with the bat. No, you know? generally not. I mean, was... Unless you're England, but I mean, that's just such an anomaly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. If, if, if number 11s were only selected because of their batting prowess, then Glenn McGrath would never have bowled a ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it kind of it almost says, it almost says, we're, we're picking you many because you bat better than 
better than Jackson Birdie at 11. And we also want you because we don't rate the 10 blokes ahead of you with the bat. That's well, kind exactly. of what it says, right? I mean, that's, that's, what I, that's what I picked up. It's like if you're looking for tail end runs desperately, you're not sending much of a confidence booster to your rest of your team. But ultimately, he's going to be 12th man for this, for this test, right? Uh, look, he should be. Um, but look, there could be a surprise selection. Mitch Starks come out and said he's not quite fit, but it'd be hard to drop him. Yeah, because that's what I was going to go with that, because if he's not going to be 12th man, then which of the guys isn't quite ready yet? Because we haven't heard too much from the fact that, I mean, like game time-wise, how's Siddle been doing? Um, Hazelwood, he took a break as well. Are, 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 the, are, are the seamers re- raring and ready to go? Oh, Siddle's probably the most informed bowler at the moment of the three because he's the only one that's really been playing. Uh, Hazelwood played a little bit of the ODI, um, the Matador Cup over here, and, and bowled okay. But Siddle, Siddle's looking ready to go. Um, he's just found that, that nagging length and line, you know, that, that old metronome type thing that he was yeah. renowned for. It's back. Um, so I kind of get a feeling that many might play for Stark if Stark's legs doesn't, doesn't hold up because the worst thing that will happen is we'll play Stark He'll bowl six overs um, and then go out injured or hurt himself. And, and then we sort of wasted wasted his comeback and sort of rushed it back. And Australia's pretty good at doing that. Yeah. We're very good at resting players when they don't need to be rested. And we're very good at rushing them back when we shouldn't. So we're, <laughs> but then we've got you, both ends covered. But if you take Stark away, then who's going to be that hard bastard who's going to run in there and Mitchell Johnson, the Proteus? Because the Proteus have been pretty decent when the balls is coming on, but you've really got to just try to scare them. That's the only way they've had success in the test, in test series of late. Oh, we don't have a hard bastard. Stark's not a hard bastard. He's, a, you know, he's a, yeah, but he's, he's danger balls. He's Yorker, but he's kind of it's, it's not the one at the throat. Yeah, but he's kind of quick. I think that's that's what it is. Ah, uh, yeah, but but you know, if you remember the the best of Mitch Johnson against South Africa, it's when he broke Graham Smith's hand twice, and you you know all those memories of the Proteus sort of fending off um, balls at the throat. You don't get that with Mitch Stark. It's not kind of him. It's not in his nature. Um, Josh Hazelwood can can get him up there because he's nice and big and tall like Mornay Morkel, but again, he's not. I wouldn't say he's an enforcer. Um, we don't really have a Dale Stain type bowler, I don't think, in in the squad at the moment. And um, you know, trying to compare anyone to to Mitchell Stark's badassness is probably a bit unfair because um, you know he's, he was probably once in a generation type of bowler um, in terms of how how he attacked it, and you know, like Dale Stane, you don't replace these guys easily. Yeah, I guess so. So basically, what you're saying is that if Line doesn't average 17 in the series, they're not going to do so well. <laughs> what with the ball or with yeah. the bat? <laughs> with the, well, he's obviously got to average more than 17 being a tail ender. Oh <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. He averages. What's the average in Test cricket? Have you got that stat in front of you? You probably do, do. You? Uh, I, I don't actually. It, it, no. it, it, He'd be averaging over. He'd probably average fifteen with the bat. Nathan Lyon, most of it's not outs. Oh, look, he'll be interesting too. He's, um, I'm a big, I'm a big rapper. Nathan Lyon, big fan of his. I like how he bowls. I like how he's just continually gets wickets. Um, for some reason, he keeps getting in and out of the side. We'll probably see him get dropped for Ashton Agar at some stage. Just you know, just for laughs. That's kind of how it works here in Australia, which is like <laughs> random selections. Probably on Boxing Day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um. No, look, Nathan Lyons a key for the series, but uh, the first match is at the Wacker, which um, traditionally is not necessarily a spinner's wicket, although it's moved from the old bouncy Wacker pitch, and it's now a bit of a um, – that's a drop-in pitch, so it's a bit more um, – what's the word? Benign. 
Um, they'll test match there last year, Australia, New Zealand. I think Australia put on 600 for the first innings and New Zealand went and put on 500. Of which, I mean, um, Ross, so, Ross, Ross Taylor got plenty there and he's terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, last year, I mean, he was good last yeah, year. Yeah, he was one of the top the five. Uh, yeah, look, it was a top five. Um, it was in the top five of the rankings for test batting last year, but yeah, he's had a shocker in um, the last sort of six months. Um, so, yeah, if the, if the wicket plays like it did last year, the whack is probably a draw, okay. um, but I, I don't. Uh, but I don't see it because I reckon, I reckon South Africa's got enough in the pace bowling attack to really um, put it up to Australia this this summer. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, South Africa walk away with the win if they pick the right bowling attack for for the whacker. To be honest, they just uh, Michael's back right too. He's he's putting his hand up for selection. Yeah, he's there, but he's definitely past his prime. So you know, whenever I ask you about predictions for these series, you always underplay your team hugely, and I'm always overplaying my team. So we're actually probably the two worst guys to ever talk about this. But I, I think if there was going to be one defining aspect, I think without AB, these two batting lineups pretty much cancel each other out. I think that's fair to say. Um, obviously, I mean, Dean, mm. at the top, I would say, you know, the likes of Dean Elgar is obviously better than whatever you guys have got at the moment outside of Warner. Um, so it's going to come down. It's going to come down big to call. the seamers. Big call. I mean, look, if you, if you look at the guys that can bat in the Australian lineup, you got probably Warner, Smith, and Voges. Those three guys, yeah. I'd expect to make plenty of runs. Um, people keep writing off Voges, but the guy just keeps turning out fifties and hundreds. And he's batting at number five, where you've got to, he's, you know, a guy like him should be batting. Um, if Australia does have a weakness, it's th- that essentially they've given up the number six spot and said we don't need eleven players; we only need. 10 by playing Mitch Marsh. Um, the guy averages what, 20 with the bat in test cricket and over 30 with the ball. I just don't get why he's there. Um, and I, I kind of get the feeling he's only got a few more chances left up his sleeve, but what Australia will do is then replace him with another half-assed all-rounder anyhow rather than a number six batsman. So we'll be playing the summer with uh, with 10. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, okay that, that makes but, me feel pretty good. Yeah, but you know, if you look at what you guys have got, you're right. With Elgar, he's had a good run since uh, debuting with a pair on when he started here in Australia. Yeah, definitely, um, he definitely went up from there. <laughs> it's pretty hard to go down. Um, but Hashim Amla, Hashim Amla, you know, is just a genius. He averages over 50 playing away from home um, in Test match cricket. So um, you know, you back him to make some runs. Um, I'm assuming Faf will play a few Tests. Oh, he's the captain. Um, he really hope so. <laughs> Well, he was having a bad run of form there for a while, but then he he, he suddenly found some. Um, uh, so you know, he, you know, with him, Algar, Faf, they can bat. I think Australia's only got two decent batsmen, maybe three to, to go up against that. So you maybe maybe that's a wash, you're right. And then it comes down to the bowlers and Starks coming off an injury, Hazelwood's probably rested, and then it's you know, Siddle, Many, Jackson, Bird. I don't know, throwing a cool an or someone like that. You know, though he's injured too. Um, you know, someone will play, and then and then the spinning um, of Nathan Lyon. So you guys dropped Dame Pete, right? And you've brought someone else in. I, could, I definitely yeah, who, who it was. Yeah, we've got we've got Shamsi and Maharaj. Those are two uh, left arm mm. spinners. So Pete, I don't know what happened mm. there, but they decided not to have him. Um, so yeah, I just think that it's going to come down to the fact that South Africa seem to have about twenty three bowlers on this tour, and the Aussies have well a handful, <laughs> a, a handful. Well, what do you got? You've got well, we've got you got Stain Rabada. Morkel, um, Philander Abbott. and Morkel. I mean, that's a yeah. And Abbott. Abbott's good. See, Abbott plays Abbott plays number six for me, and then you've got your your sort of bowling, batting all rounder that could turn a match. I 
I wouldn't be surprised if Abbott teaches Mitch Marsh how to how to be an all rounder. You know, in this series, I, I'm a big rap for how he plays. And yeah, um, but Abbott's not really a batsman. If you're going to look for like Philander is a guy that can bat, whether he's got the fitness and stamina to come through any decent sort of impact as a bowler, that's the big concern. Um, uh, but Abbott can Abbott can swing and, and make a quick thirty or forty. Uh, Mitch can't even do that. Well, on the back of this, I'm actually going to put a lot more money on on the Proteus because you've really opened my eyes towards oh, what's what's obvious here. It's just like <laughs> eleven over ten, and we don't even know anything about cricket to know that the eleven team's stronger. Uh, well, Australia just don't bat past number five, so you've got um, it's going to be uh, who have we got? So we have got Warner, Kawaja, or no, sorry, Warner, Shaw, Marsh opening. Shaw Marsh might surprise a few people. He's had a good sort of twenty four months, even though it sort of hurts me to say it. Yeah. Smith, uh, Kawaja, and Smith follow that. Um, Usman's not really making runs recently, although, again, last year he was tunning up left, right, and centre. Uh, and Voja, he's your top five. Yeah. Um, so they can all bat on their day. Then you've got Mitch Marsh can't bat. Peter Neville averages 22 or something in test cricket. Can't bat, can catch. Um, and then you're into the bowlers, right? And, <laughs> um, and so that's maybe why Rod Marsh dropped Jackson Bird for Joe Many because, you know, those extra well, three runs that he averages is, is going to be bloody important. Dennis, the, the more we talk, the more of an absolute genius this, the selectors are, actually, that the Many <laughs> is coming in for the right reason. You know, it, it, we haven't given yeah. him any credit. I think that's a masterstroke from the selectors here. Uh, I like the fact that he's announced, uh, Rod Marsh has announced his retirement sort of uh, for mid-2017, so he's essentially, doesn't matter what he does now, he knows he's leaving, so he can just make random calls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We might. God knows who will call up. But uh, you know, you're right. Compare that to the South African batting lineup. Uh, so who's opening for you guys? You got Elgar well, we, we and got, got uh, Elgar Cook potentially. Bavuma is going to come in. Oh, Bav- Cook, yep. Bavuma is going to be your number six. Um, See, proper batsman number six. That's why you win the series. There you go. I've caught it now. Yeah, Bavuma got, will be the difference. We've got six, and then Quinton de Kock, I think, in the form of his life at seven, he's going to be something yeah, really, yeah. really special. And I think he is already showing that he, no matter what the format is, the guy's absolute gold with the bat. Um, you know, he almost got 100 yeah. the other day just filling in as an opener. You know, he's actually just having fun with, with, with the bat in hand. <laughs> then it's just um, the final question because we've really got to wrap it up now. Yeah. Um, do you see the squad, sure. do you see the squad changing much with the different venues or is this going to be pretty much the nucleus of the side? I know we, we've been pulling the piss about the selectors, but is there anyone yeah. that you reckon is going to come in that's going to be different for the pink ball test with it being so different? No, the squad will stay the same unless, and here's the asterisk, do you guys pump Australia the whacker? And they go into panic mode, mm-hmm. and then we'll see we'll see two changes every test for the next for for the three test series. Um, and part of me wishes that kind of happens because I just don't think they've got the squad nailed at the moment. Um, you know, if they if Rod Marsh had come out and said we've picked Joe Many based on the fact that he just tore up Shield last year, so he's earned his spot, then you'd have a lot of faith in what's going on. But when you say I pick a bowler because of his batting at number eleven, I've just lost all faith that they have a plan okay. um, and you know and I think if South Africa win this whack test I think you'll see a couple of changes I reckon you'll see there's some scapegoats and it might be down to the batting you might see uh, Kawaja gone um, they'll probably pick on Vogus or someone like that and you might see a couple of new kids come in and hopefully we get a decent number six I, I love the fact that South Africa's playing well let Bavuma make a ton as an opener and then say no no kid you go back to number six and maybe spend a year or two there and learn your craft. And Australia hasn't done that since probably Ricky Ponting days. He he spent six years at number six before they pushed him up the order to three and four. And look how he turned out. If we could just get back to that, 
I mean, it shows some patience. Um, well, Dennis, I am overwhelmed with confidence right now. Uh, we've got to cut it off right there, unfortunately. <laughs> we've got to quickly wrap up the weekend, but thanks so much. Where can people find more of you? Because the series is going to be interesting, even if it is one-sided, <laughs> which it won't be, but thank you. Yeah, I would, <laughs> yeah, I would uh, head to uh, eonsportsradio.com.au. Uh, we have a, a live cricket radio show that you can get uh, on digital uh, every Tuesday morning, your time, I think, 11 a.m.? Yep. Um, or go to dennisdoescricket.com and you'll find the podcast there and all the writing and all the other rubbish that I tend to put out into the to, into the atmosphere. <laughs> Suck it up. All right, Dennis, thank you so much. We really cut. I think next time we'll just take the whole hour. When we when we recap this test series, we'll take the whole hour. Done. Cool. Nice to speak to you, Ben. Thanks, mate. Very Bye, good. Mate. Always always so enjoyable. Catch Dennis. Uh, but obviously we've got such a little time here. We've got to get straight into AK. Now, AK was here last week for um, the weekend sort of wrap-up. AK, what have we got this week? I mean, mostly football was quite disappointing locally, but what else do we get from the big weekend? Um, actually, we've got um, rugby news. Rustenburg and Paul on Saturday claimed their second Gold Cup title. Ah, of course. Yeah, there was three, that. Yeah, in three years. So they beat um, False Bay 48-24 in front of about 5,000 strong, passionate home crowd fans. The victory completed a dream season for them. Um, you know, they're playing in their third successive final. They were they remained unbeaten. They scored four tries or more in each of their matches. They won the title in two years ago, but stumbled against um, Durbanville Belleville in a home final last season, which saw them go down by a point thirty one thirty. So yeah, um, well done to them. And still with rugby related news now, England head coach Eddie Jones has hinted that he may step down from his role if his team wins the Rugby World Cup in Japan in 2019. Now Jones indicated... This guy's all hype, yeah, because he's, he's such yeah, a shit talker. Mind games, mind games for days. So he actually indicated that he'd like to work with another underdog team like Japan, who he guided to a shock Rugby World Cup win over boys in England last year. Since then, the former Wallabies boss took over as England coach, um, winning all nine matches in charge, including um, the three game whitewash against Australia in Australia. So, we don't know if he's still going to stick around or if they stand a chance of winning the World Cup, but it seems like they are very... Well, they built, they did build up a, a pretty solid team for, 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 for the upcoming um, matches. Now, you spoke about tennis. Andy Murray continued his march towards the world number one spot. He won in Vienna yesterday. Now, the 21 29 year old Scott um, swept past Frenchman Joe Wilfred Song a 6 3, 7 6, 8 6 in the final to earn his seventh title of the year. Now, yeah, so he can actually um, take over the, the number one spot if Novak Djokovic, um, if he wins the next. Um, the Paris Masters next week and yeah. the Serb fails to reach the final. He can also do that. Which is possible. Hey? Yeah, Nova, is. Novak's been rusty the last few months. Yeah, but I, I, I always put my money on him. So he can also take over the number one top spot if um, he reaches the final and Djokovic loses before the semis in the French capital. So if Djokovic does not make it to the final and um, Murray does and not win the final, he can actually, you know, um, take over the number one spot. So yeah, we've got some cricket. We spoke about Australia. Now, former Australia captain Ricky Ponting is one of many names being mentioned in uh, connection to a T20 coaching gig in Feb next year. Now, Australia head coach Darren Lehman will be with the test side. They'll be playing in India as, well, they're playing in India, but now at the same time, the T20 series against Sri Lanka will be in Australia. As such, the white ball side does need a coach and Ponting has not confirmed anything as yet. He is skeptical about the job because he, he, he really wants to take over the ODI and, um, the test side. But I think Darren Lehman has, 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 has built the boys and actually, you know, he, Australia, uh, I, I don't want to say Australia bad or, they, they, they took a bit of a dip, you know, since um, being coached by Darren Lehman. So, yeah, and we know Ponting and 
John Turose did a great job with the Mumbai Indians. They won the T20 as well. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. Look, I think like Lehman also inherited quite a dodgy system. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some football news now. Lebohang Manyama bagged a brace as Cape Town City recorded, uh, recorded a 2-1 victory over CAF champions Mamelodi Sundowns at Loftus yesterday. Tinkler's men went to the halftime break um, with the lead after Manyama broke the deadlock within 21 minutes. Now Sundowns managed to level matters after the halftime through Tabunte. However, it was too little too late. As the uh, city skipper Manyama, who had the last laugh, popping up the winner with eight minutes from the full-time whistle now. And a quick look at what else happened in the PSL before I wrap things up. Pirates, Kaza Chiefs disappointing again, nil-nil derby. Um, another draw, Highlands Park up against Free State Stars, but at least there were four goals in that game. Baroka FC, Polokwane City, two all. And finally, Ajax Cape Town. I'm going down by two goals to nil to Super Sports United. So. I guess Cape Town will be down in <laughs> yeah, more ways Ro- than one in the end of the season, I reckon. And Roger, Roger just saw, I think he, well, yeah, he did. No, he's Ruta, gone. Yeah, he's gone. he's gone. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically your first edition of the quick dish out with Ben. I'm better known as AK. Nice one, AK. Very <laughs> nice. Do you, I, I do, I do like your voice for sport, I gotta say. Mostly yeah. because it's different to mine and mine's boring <laughs> as all hell. Uh, okay, so, lot, um, we're gonna get more of AK in the next coming weeks. Catch the bounce.co.za for this show and all the other shows. Otherwise, Go on to cliffcentral.com to find the Bounce Show show page. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll catch you back next week. Go the Proteas, as Dennis says. Pretty much going to be the favorites with this one. I'll take that. Huh? But, uh, always happens on the field. So let's just take it from there. Cliffcentral.com.